This is Comictating, the comic book review arm of the Nerdables family of podcasts. Let the nerds take over! Us? Huh? What's up, comic book fans? Welcome back to another episode of Comictating. Uh, we had another skip week last week because it was literally a skip week. Uh, fifth Wednesday of March and not a lot of titles that came out. There was the Hanna-Barbera DC the, crossover the specials. Crossover specials. I still got to read uh, Green Lantern Space Ghost. Green Lantern Space Ghost was proved to be the most popular. The Flintstones and Booster Gold good and uh adam strange and johnny quest has the best cover it was a great cover. yeah that's a good cover so there were a couple of good things last week there just wasn't enough uh plus in terms of time crunches both of us were headed towards the wonder con later in the week we did uh and i was going to disneyland on thursday so we decided to hold off for that week and come back this week a week that when i first looked at the invoice i went eh, there's not much there and then when i got in and i started pulling books out uh we have two, four. I've got six books to talk about. We actually read eight of them. Um, we're not going to talk about the Archie Riverdale one-shot thing or the ongoing. I just wanted you to read it because I wanted your soul to die. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you 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 should be the one to give the review. You've oh, been yeah. watching the show. If you like if you like the show, you'll like the book. Oh, it's yeah, pretty yeah. much the same thing. Um, yeah, it just I have this unnatural love for a terrible, terrible, terrible show. So I wanted to do that, and you read X-Men Gold number one. I did, I did. Uh, very much uh, in the style of classic X-Men books, so I appreciated yeah. that. When they when when Mark Guggenheim said he was trying to go back to form, back to the classic style X-Men books, uh, it definitely felt like that, so that's much appreciated. Kitty Pride's leading the team. You can see a lot of familiar faces. You've got Storm, and you've got uh, Nightcrawler. Colossus. You've got Old Man Logan, Colossus in there, and it, it's good. I have no idea who Prestige is. I should probably finish to catch up. One of the reasons I didn't read this is I'm not caught up on my X-Men, uh, so I didn't want to they filled you in. They, they filled you in pretty well. Yeah, I'm The sure. X-Men are living in the middle of Central Park now. They have a, a new school and a baseball field. Uh, yeah. uh, an old nemesis returns for the very beginning, and they make a few jokes about, isn't he supposed to be dead? And they go, you know, it's like, well, I've died. Me too. Oh, I've yeah, died as least, well. There's at least three people on com- here that have died. Just completely like, yeah, that's right. Uh, death means nothing in Colossus, comics. I think Kitty. Well, Kitty didn't die. She just had to ride that giant bullet for the longest time. Yes. Until they saved her. Nightcrawler died for a little while. So, yeah, um, they've... Uh, they had his return in Amazing X-Men with Jason Aaron and... Uh, 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 oh goodness, Ed McGuinness. That was good. It was a great. That was a that much was better than it story. had any right to be. It was. It was fantastic. It's one of my favorite books. They also make a nice uh, sort of observation about why do people hate mutants? You got Spider-Man and you got the Hulk running around. Yeah. And all, and There's a lot of those questions when yeah. you were a kid. You were reading it too. I'm going, why? What makes the X-Men any different than Avengers? Other than the Avengers are on like the side of lunchboxes, even in the 80s. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it sounds like X-Men Gold is back to. That kind of '90s X-Men heyday, or at least trying to get back into some. Trying of those to get back to it, and, it, and it definitely is on the right track. Uh, that came on the heels of X-Men Prime, which was last week, which was exactly that. It was a primer for as the X books are going forward. Uh, there was also Inhumans Prime last week, which reset the Inhumans universe after the IVX um, crossover, and from there we have Royals number one, which we're going to talk about this week. Al Ewing is the writer. John Boy Myers, the artist. Ryan Kennard doing the color, uh, Al Ewing of course doing Ultimates, um, which is an Avengers book. John Boy Myers did like two issues of Teen Titans before he apparently jumped ship for Marvel. Uh, but this is the story of the Inhuman royal family: Black Bolt, Medusa, Crystal, Gorgon, 
Um, and then a couple of other new characters, Swain and Flint with Norvar, uh, Marvel Boy, in the beginning and the end of Prime is Marvel Boy. The beginning of Prime is Marvel Boy watching the television about the end of the the IVX event. And the Terrigen Mist is gone. He says, uh, they don't know what Terrigen is, do they? Yeah, uh, the, yeah. In this reality, they don't know what it really is. And then the end, he offers for the Royals to go explore. And that's yes, kind yeah. of what this, this book is. As the Royal family has stopped being the Royal family. They turn control over to uh, basically a governor who will govern the inhuman people in New Adelon in, I think her name is ISO. Um, and in Prime, they tell you they're going to hold free elections for the people that are still on Earth. The Royals are kind of admitted that they've screwed everything up. Right. Black Bolt destroys Adelon, releases the Terrigen Cloud. Medusa brings the, the uh, under her leadership, the, the inhumans fight the X-Men in a global catastrophe conflict sort of thing so they've kind of like maybe that's why people don't like the x-men they yeah. keep getting into wars with everybody the avengers well the avengers the humans the humans just so many just, fantastic four just picking fights what have you so royals number one starts their story as the they realize future yeah starts in the far off future with the inhuman they just list him as the inhuman the last inhuman yeah the last inhuman and it, they hint heavily it's black bolt he's wearing the same kind of costume yeah he's got he's the got, same costume and colors he's got his little tiny crown on his head yeah it says something about uh he can't use many words or something like that his words are his words have like gotten was in there weaker somewhere. yeah yeah that, i know it costs you to speak that's what it was yeah, yeah. like maybe every word thing and from there it goes this, this story that piece takes place far in the future we're into the present, and in the present, the Inhumans are facing the, the fact that without the Terrigen Mist, they will be the last generation of Inhumans. There will be no, right. no Inhumans. And Especially because the Terrigen Mist isn't really creating Inhumans as we would know them with Medusa and Black Bolt. They're physically being transformed into into hideous monsters. Yeah, well, it's also the fact that the end of IVX is the destruction of the Terrigen Mist cloud yes. that's going over through it. Because the Terrigen Mist cloud actually kills uh, mutants. mutants, so the end of the war is an Inhuman that... Uh, under Black Bolt's direction destroys the mist cloud so that it is gone and they have nothing that will now have these, you know, the, the Inhumans are basically half Kree, half humans um, a genetically altered race by the Kree far in the yeah. past that can get these powers only through being enveloped into the mist, cocooning and then coming out so we have a one of the last Inhumans comes up there's a fight and it kind of leads to the uh, the idea of them talking about that this is going to be one of the last Inhumans, and then Novar basically puts out a uh, talking to these people saying there's there's something out there you need to go back to uh, the Kree home world of Hala, which if you followed the Black Vortex crossover in Guardians and X Men a couple of years ago, Hala no longer exists. Uh, they destroyed it with the Black Mirror, but he says that there's something in the middle. And we kind of go from there. Um, if you don't know anything about the Inhumans, this book does a pretty good job of catching you up. Not too bad. And the nice thing with it versus the last four years or five years of Inhumans is they've kind of pushed them, tried to push them into the forefront with Marvel now, is we've now gotten to this core group of royals that people kind of care about. Right. We're not worried about a thousand different Inhumans yeah. and all these new ones. There's two. We're sort of back to the core team of uh, yeah. Medusa and Black Bolt. And a few others here and there, and it, it works really well. I, I, I thought that this book, I think, didn't do as 
good a job as something like X-Men Gold did for present history, but as a as a big overview of the history of the Inhumans, I think that's where this book outshines something like X-Men in that, okay, you need to know who the Inhumans are, and this book does a really good job. It definitely feels like a great jumping-off point if you want to even, I mean, because you've got a TV show coming out soon for the Inhumans, and this book is kind of perfect for that. Who are the Inhumans? You pick up Royals, and you get that really nice brief history of them. Yeah, it's also something going forward, though. It's not as much as, it's not as much as, say, um, Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee series from the late 90s. Right, right. Which is where I was first exposed to Inhumans as a, as a big group, and still my favorite Inhuman story, and probably the only one that I ever really gave a damn about. But in terms of going in and out of the Charles Soule uh, has kind of done Inhumans since that Inhumanity non-event event, uh, that they have, but all of this is it's go through Marvel Now and all new, all different Marvel Now of the now newness. Uh, there's all new in Humans and Uncanny. Kind of his story's been weaved in and out of these royals, and that's where the, the end of Charles Soule's story was the end of IBX, and now we get into royals, so it's a new writer. I do love Al Ewing a lot. Um, he's someone that, uh, with, with Ultimates, like reading Ultimates and reading, uh, he did... Um, I keep wanting to say New Mutants, uh, New Avengers with Roberto da Costa. Yes, just good. really, really good stuff. He's really, really smart. Uh, he's got a good sense of dialogue. There's a good sense of humor in a couple of different places. So uh, I trust him to put together a good story. And if you do like '90s art and you like kind of that anime influenced style, people like Joe Madura, yes, Pop yeah. Mahan. Um, I keep wanting to say Chris Bautista, but it's not him. I can't remember who did Spy Boy. Maybe it was Pop Mahan. I think I'm mis- I think I'm thinking of Pop Mahan. Uh, John Boy Myers is very much in that style. Um, kind of a hard angular look, really bright colors that that his color brings to him. Um, you know, it's not standard four by four panel work. It's a lot of odd size panels in different places. Lots of detail uh, technology. Yeah, lots of detail there. Their ship is is gorgeous. Um, everyone looks good. The action looks good. So John Boy Myers was a good choice for it. Uh, so that. Uh, if you enjoy that, and I'm a, I'm a fan of that art style. I mean, that's kind of what, when I really got into comics, that just started to take over when the right. anime influence of those guys came in. So it's a style that kind of brings a nostalgic feel for me. Yeah, it's like um, the post-Jim Lee era. Yeah, yeah, it's just about. It's like yeah. Jim Lee, as, as he kind of went to do Wildcats, uh, Marvel with their X-Books went to guys like... Roger Cruz and Joe Madura and Pop Mahan to do um, Jeff Matsuda. That's the guy I'm thinking yes, of. Yes, yes. And Jeff Matsuda. All those guys had not necessarily the same style, but it was the same influences, the same um, the same spirit to a way. And so that's here. Reading through this, I kind of said, I could have seen this in one of the X-Books because that's what Joe Mad did the X-Books for, for a while, uh, did Uncanny X-Men, and Jeff Matsuda did uh, uh, X-Factor for a while. So those guys really fit into that nostalgic part that I think X-Men Gold is looking for. So it's kind of a surprise to see John Boy Myers do Royals rather than that. But Actually, um, now that you mention that, yes, this book would have been... The, oh, artist, yeah. the, the art in this would have been great in X-Men Gold. I would, well, actually, in terms of what the teams were, as I'm reading through it, I thought this would have been really cool in X-Men Blue because Magneto's the part of that book. Oh. But that's just me. That's just one of those things, so... Uh, so yeah, Royals one again. If you're if you're interested in where that corner of the Marvel universe, that Inhuman and, and X Men and, uh, corner is going, Royals number one, X Men Gold number one, X Men Blue number one, I think comes out next week or the week after. And then the two Prime books that came out last week are great. Exactly what they're for. They're primers for you to kind of right. jump into. Thing if you are a '90s X Men fan or early 2000s and you kind of been away for a while, X Men Prime sets everything up. You don't need to read. 
the stuff that's been happening since basically Marvel Now, right. when Bendis brought the teenagers forward. Uh, it'll set everything up for you and go from there. Uh, speaking of new beginnings, we're actually going to get into all-new Wolverine number 19. Uh, we usually don't pick a book that late, but it's because we have a new creative team and a new direction. Tom Taylor takes over as a writer, Leonard Kirk as the penciler, Corey Hampshire the inker. Uh, this is Laura. Uh, Laura, um, Laura Kinney, yeah, X-23, who has taken over the mantle of Wolverine since Logan's death a couple of years ago now. Yeah. Uh, we do have Old Man Logan running through, you know, they kind of got their Logan, they're trying the to get their cake books. and eat him, eat it too, giving the Wolverine mantle to Laura and having Logan just be Logan. Uh, so this book's been around, again, 19, this book's been around for well more than a year. This has been a good book the whole way through. It has. Uh, but we're here now with kind of a, a newer direction she's got a new suit she has taken one of her her young clones which you find in the early books uh gabby as her her sidekick and she is going to be the wolverine and she's got the single docking claw gabby does have she does have the single claw I the single was, yeah yeah no i thought that was really really cool to sort of bring yeah, she's got it on the top on the top the instead of the yeah. bottom so i thought that was really really interesting it's like hey you know you've got docking as well who's got bizarre claw arrangements so i thought that was really yeah. cool so this one uh, you see them basically attacking a ship and then uh, they also is this object that's hurtling yeah immediately coming through so there's kind of two stories and they'll intertwine towards towards the end but we see Laura and Gabby, um, they're, they're kind of, and, and this has been a theme throughout the book, is people who are involved in human trafficking uh, because of the, the, the clones from Laura are, you know, in a Weapon X type program. So she's very sensitive to that type of, of crime, um, of activity, and goes after people that, that are a part of it. And she's rocking the basically the X Force Wolverine suit. Which yeah, I love. she definitely has the X Force Wolverine suit, the gray and black, with just a hint of red in the eyes. Um, I, I like the costume design. I like Gabby's design too. She kind of has what Laura had been wearing, but she's got a little flower on it. It's just like this cute from the thing from on the movie. It. Yeah, um, somewhat. Yeah, but it's also kind of if if you follow this the the one before, it's got a, kind of a part of her, a whole part of her shtick is you know something she's kind of. You know, she's a murder machine, but also like, wee, cute, funny. Unicorns and ponies. Yeah. Um, so she's a lot of fun. And that, the dynamic between Laura and Gabby is what really sells this book, and it's what sold the book for the last 18 issues as well. And I'm glad that Tom kind of brings that exact thing over, this little bit of humor in their, their interactions and the way that they they converse with one another. And we basically get a mission that... that uh, we get this meteor that lands to Earth is actually an alien, and the alien says the name Laura Kinney. So they're going to go from there. Laura's got to go find out what this is. Um, again, good start, good setup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good jumping on point if you've never read it, or if you've just seen the movie, uh, Logan, and yeah. you're looking to Logan, see some more adventures. A little, bit, a little bit older and yeah, yeah. not stabbing people through the face while on screen, but, you know. Um, I forgot they were doing that for the one. So yeah, again, it's something where if you like uh, if you like Wolverine, you're interested in the X universe. You just saw the movie. This yeah, is a good place. We just wanted, yeah, we want to point it out because it's, it's a start. All new Wolverine 19 is a jumping on point. You do not have to read the 18 issues before it to get a good grasp of what's going on. It's all there. So, uh, so now we're gonna get into our the indie, the indie the stack of indies for this. Do the indie stuff. You know? Oh my god. Uh, we're <laughs> I picked out a couple odd ones. We're gonna Kim Reaper number one. 
There's a story. It's a book that's very much in the style of something like Giant Days, yeah, Lumberjanes yeah. with a with a more you know older teen grasp uh, grass or, or or conceit, but um, it's got that kind of right cutesy look feel to it. Um, the honestly, I found the book to be hilarious. No, it was really good. The especially once you get to like the bizarre showdown that they're gonna have at the very yeah. end. But essentially, the book focuses on. Uh, it's a college student, seeing uh, who's a bit infatuated with uh, with a, another student in her class, and that's where things start to take a turn because she starts to follow her around, and that's when it is revealed that uh, Kim is a Grim Reaper, and I, I she she works yeah she's a Grim Reaper she's a Grim Reaper death. she works for the Grim Reaper, it's a job it's, it's literally job. a job it's just yeah. a job, and uh, she's there to take the soul of uh, someone's cat. It looks like uh, an old lady lives in the house, but that's when things start to get a little bit strange because you got uh, you've got a you've got a bodybuilder who shows up at home, and the house basically meant for little old ladies, and that's yeah. where and that's there's where a ton things of cats. go crazy. It's just he's a crazy cat person. Yeah, uh, he's a spinster. Sarah Grayley is the creator, writer, illustrator, colorist. Uh, there's definitely a, a, a voice here. It's just something that it gets more bizarre at each step in a good way. Right. So Becca, who has the affiliate, uh, uh, the, um, affection for Kim follows her to this apartment, surprises through her a, before, through a spooky, scary. Porn. Yeah. Cause she just goes in it, you know, her, so her phone gets sucked up and she goes after it. Well, I gotta go get my phone. Yeah. Uh, so as Kim's about to help this cat pass to the other side, she, uh, Becca scares her and Kim of course runs off or the cat runs off and Kim isn't able to complete, her job, so now it's she has to find this cat in this apartment, and and finish the job, and then everything just gets apartment full of cats. Bizarre from there, yes. The dialogue between the two is really great. Um, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of like funny, cutesy lines and stuff. The the uh, the ones of being kind of obsessed with this character is a lot of fun. I just it, it's a book again. It's just like something that probably wouldn't be on someone's radar, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, if you're just looking for a good uh, comedy book. Just a very bizarre comedy book. Uh, it, I enjoy it. We also have another comedy book we'll be talking about in a little bit. Yes, the last one we're going to talk about is a book that, that took us both by surprise, which was kind of nice. Um, but the next book we'll do, uh, that was from Oni. This is from Image. Black Cloud, number one. Uh, Jason Latour and Ivan Brandon as the story. Ivan Brandon doing the script. Greg Hinkle doing the art. Gorgeous and, art. Uh, well, Greg Hinkle is the guy who did um, Airboy. Yeah, yeah, with uh, with James Robinson two years ago, which was uh, an Eisner Award nominee. Uh, it took me a little bit. I'm going through it, going, I know this art. This looks familiar. And then there's a monster in the beginning, and I thought, oh, it kind of looks like BPRD. That a little bit, Earth. A little bit. And then I started to look at the characters. I'm like, oh, it's Greg Hinkle. It's the guy who did Air, who did Airboy. This book is weird, but it's it, really weird. But yeah, really, but really, really good. interesting. Jason Latour did a fascinating job of. You know, trying to set up this idea that, you know, there are, you know, beings that have been mythologized and, you know, they have they have special powers. You see, like, at the very beginning, you've got people in a forest and then this giant creature shows up and he basically casts lightning. But then we sort of come to the present day and we see... Well, it's uh, like he casts lightning. It's, it's, they talk about stories with Yes, it, exactly. Know? Stories we tell ourselves and, and, and future is a magic trick, a sleight of hand, a story. Yeah. Like, if the future is a story, then you can write it. Right. And, and so, and through this you know, pictogram, yeah, he yeah, does he's the like, writing. He's, like, telling the story, but it's visualized yeah. in the physical world. 
And then you come to present-day New York City. You've got a homeless girl looking for money. But then New York City. the book sort of shifts in a very strange way. She's meeting a bunch of rich kids. And basically it's like, oh, let me let me show you the power of Yeah, she looks like a drug dealer. Story. She's giving yeah. pills to everybody. It's, you know, she's she's uh, Morpheus here. Yeah, exactly. Um, but from there, she she engulfs one of these characters and then goes into like 1930s another world, yeah. United States, but with like Muppet style, like Muppet style animal monsters. Yeah, and it it just kind of is. You can have the ability to live in this other world, in this fantasy world, uh, through her it's power. personified. Yeah. So really, it is. It's about it's about story, and then you know we have a, a villain that you don't see that comes up, and then they have to pop out of the out of the story that they're in and it's it's her meeting um the mayor the mayor and the mayor seems to kind of know what's going on but not really he wants a he want he wants he a wants little in. bit of a trip and then we find out that the the mayor wants something right uh from one of the characters that she had before and then it goes uh and then from there she's not sure if she's going to be able to do this but she sort of has to do this and then she does something and something bad happens because that's the crux of the story um hinkle is great as always uh if you have not read Airboy, read Airboy. it's the strangest biography you'll ever it, read. yeah it's it's a stunning yeah it's a it's a it's a book that is very biographical using this idea of what james robinson is writing and then the character that he's supposed to be writing for a comic book company <laughs> comes into their apartment and then from there it just gets bizarre let me let me take you on a journey of self james yeah robinson. and it very much is a it's james robinson's self-reflection of uh, uh, no holes barred self-reflection of kind of what's happened to him in his life yeah and like that in like that late 90s period it, from even yeah. from there i mean he talks about uh his, his he talks about his uh his relationships he talks about his marriage he talks about his time like working for comics and you'll if you if you know james robinson's work especially at dc at the time you probably know what books and who he's talking about oh you totally do because yeah. he's been in he's been a lot of it at the time no it's um so, here Greg Hinkle's art matches with Latours and Brandon's kind of surreal. Yeah, surreal's yeah. a very good. It's way like to it's like storytelling it. come to life is, yeah. is is what happens here. And we definitely don't want to short Matt Wilson for the colors. No, beautiful. The fantasy lands are in black and white, and just certain characters are going to be in in color. Um, so we just have like the main character in color, and then we see another character that shows up, and realize that that person is connected to the first person because. Excuse me. They're both in color, so there's you know there's stuff going on between the two of them. The rainstorm in the middle of things is so great. So, um, yeah, definitely a surreal book. Uh, uh, Black Cloud. Definitely a, a different book. Yeah, I like Black Cloud. Living storytelling. Yeah, very very good. Um, speaking of fantastic art, John Layman's and Sam Keats' Eleanor and the Egret. So something I saw a while ago it goes on my radar because uh, I love Sam Keith. Yep. There is nobody who does Sam Keith art like Sam Keith. And I don't even think there's people that are really trying to imitate him, at least no one in a mainstream type. And uh, it's just a story of a woman who has an egret and she is an art thief. Which, yeah, it's a it's a bizarre oversimplification of the story, but that's basically yet that's what the, the story. story. Yeah, that's that's yeah, it. She, you know, they do like this uh, prologue where she's, you know, out in the middle of a swamp. She finds this egg and then we cut to present day. She's looking at an art exhibit. You know, and I like that the the era is sort of nondescript. It's very different. Yeah, she's yeah. dressed up uh, basically in in like a 1920s or 1930s Parisian outfit while she's at the at the uh, art museum. Right, and then but then we other see her. Yeah, we see her also at, dressed that way. Yeah, when we see her at the the 
uh, pet store, she's in a tank top and Uggs. Right. You know, with a with a hat and a ponytail. Very, you know, obviously our, very, very different. Yeah, our detective looks like he's from turn of the century time. Yeah. So it does bounce around, but it's a beautiful book. And oh, the it's so cool. really, really yeah. fun. It's a, a fun Ar- story. It's the Swiss it's... Army Egret. There's great scenes of her. Uh, yes, gr- yes. Uh, there's a great scene of her. They do the cuts between her getting through the museum. Yeah, it's a heist. So yeah. it, they kind of show how it was done at the time as the detective's trying to figure this out. Yeah. And so there isn't, I don't even want to try to describe any more of it, just more of saying Sam Keith hasn't done anything in a while. He did right. the Max is probably what he's best known for. Um, he's done some Wolverine stories. He some did Lobo the, stuff. Some Lobo stuff. The first time I ever saw him was Aliens Earth War, which was oh, the yeah, third yeah. Dark Horse series. Hated it when I first read it. It was like when, when Mignola did uh, X-Force 8 that was so different from anything else I oh, had yeah, seen yeah. before. I'm like, that's dumb. That's stupid. Where's Rob Liefeld? I'm going to read this again. Okay, hold on. Let me read it again. And then buying Hellboy because I won the Monkey Man and O'Brien back up. Oh, yeah. yeah. And read Hellboy and was like, this is amazing. So anyway, I ran into Sam Keith at the Aliens Earth War, which was the third, again, the third Alien series from Dark Horse. Very, very different art from the first two. Of course, the first two had different, very different art too. Hard, hard pencil work, black and white for the first one, colored painted for the second one. Right. And right. then the third one is is uh, Ripley coming back to Earth to blow up aliens, and it looks nothing like you've ever seen. You're just like, what is this? This is weird. This doesn't fit. This doesn't actually kind of. This is really good. And then the Max, which is fantastic. Oh yeah. And uh, John Lehman. Yeah. Who uh, he did Chew, yeah. uh, most famously recently, and it's it's bizarre but really really fun and. That's an interesting fit. I never thought I would have seen John Lehman and Sam Keith working together on a book. Yeah. But I like that it's, you know, a mini series. You know, you'll get a complete yeah. story after a couple issues. So Yeah, they did an interview with uh Comic Shop News, which is kind of where I saw it the first time. And said that yeah, it's kind of this is it. We're just doing this. It's a fun story that we wanted to do. It was something we wanted to paint and and go through. Ronna Pattinson does the colors again. Uh, the color palette is very different from when you're inside the museum to when you're inside the uh, the um, the the pet store, uh, the outdoor stuff, the early stuff in the swamp is different. So it's just again a book that even if you don't read the words it is going to be it's beautiful. Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, that's from Aftershock Comics, and they've been is, they've been on a roll. They've been doing really yeah, good. they've been really good. It's, they have this <laughs> they have the same problem a lot of them do in terms of shipping, but other than that, I think Aftershock does that animosity too, which has become a big a big series. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we get to, I pulled it because it was a number one, Rock Candy Mountain, uh, Kyle Starks writing and drawing, Chris Schweitzer, Schweizer, uh, doing the colors, chapter one, one evening as the sun went down, and we open with, with oh, it does tell you, it's 1948. It's 1948, but you open with Satan, and he's just, pretty much, he's just laying waste to a hobo encampment. Why? We don't know. Yeah, he's, he's got some language on there. He does. And uh, he just starts beating these dudes up and killing him. And then he, he's looking for someone named Jackson. And then, lo and behold, we see another scene with Jackson jumping on a, a train and then uh, gathering up another gentleman here. He's riding the rails, yeah. as hobos often do, with Bindle Fire over shoulder. Dragon. And then it's a hobo story. It, and it is the, hilariously the awesome. Yeah. It's, a, kind of, it's kind of cage. Yes. Yeah, it, it's very much got that same sense of humor there's, to it. Yeah, there's a few moments in it where you're just like, oh yeah, this could fit in Cage too. I mean, there's something a little bit bigger going on to a, to a degree, but 
Um, they meet the, the 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 leader of the hobo, the hobo mafia. mafia pretty, uh, yeah. Riding the rails, and uh, one of the train inspectors is like, "Oh, we got a nest of hobos in here." This is the train inspector. He's the, he's the conductor. He's the conductor. Yeah, they stop at this point. These they guys try... get on, and then he's coming up, and he's like, Arr. "Hey, we got gotta get out, get out here, guys!" And then <laughs> he's like, "You know who you're talking to?" And he just has this gold ring on. It's like, "Ah, oh, dang, hobo mafia!" This ain't no hobo hotel. I still uh, when the th- this new group of people come in. You know, there's obviously a leader, this this boss, and, and these these minions, and the one he's, you need anything, boss? I cook you up some beans. Stop trying to feed me beans, you moron! <laughs> it's kind of that that, that you know uh, stereotypical idea of them yeah, eating beans eat the, and stuff like eat that. Out of the can. Yeah, it's got to be beans. It's, that's the only thing. So stop feeding me beans. This car is rotten with oh sweet goddamn! This car is it's rotten, rotten with, with hobos. hobos. Yeah. All right, get the hell out, you hobos! This ain't a hobo hotel. <laughs> One, it helps that hobo is a hilarious word. Yeah. Put your peepers over here, real monkey. Don't hey, don't call me real monkey. That ain't kind. <laughs> and then he flashes the he flashes hobo mafia ring. ring. Yeah, just one of those like incredibly absurd. Uh, just somebody say, you know, it'd be great. I gotta, I gotta write a story about some hobos, and thank goodness you did. Yeah, okay. it's so good. Yeah, so we've got to, we've got a man on the run from Satan who's just wiping out hobos. He's looking for a, a basically a mythical rock candy mountain from. Yeah, Mister Jackson's looking for rock candy mountain from a from an old song from an old song, and he there's a. Uh, like a map, something he's got notes. Something yeah, that, yeah. That, and the end of it is an essay by Eric Newsom, who has a PhD from the University of Central Missouri about the history of Big Rock Candy Mountain as a song. So not only does he give you like, the background history of it, just this writer's going, okay, I've got this great song, I want to know the history of it, and then from here I'm gonna have a whole um, a whole story that we're going to to put through it. I thought there was something in here when I read this, and I was like, "Oh my god, this was great!" But yeah, it's, uh, it's again much like we said. There's a couple of books we said extremity, uh, extremity a couple months ago, right, or a month ago, but that kind of took us by surprise. This was the same thing. Where it was like, "Holy crap, this is fantastic!" Once you handed me a book with a man with a bindle on his shoulder, and you, yep. it's like, "Well, I got to read this one first. I read this, and then we'll go from there." But especially, yeah. So Rock Candy Mountain kind of was our, our our surprise. One of those books that you just read. The surprise of the and week. Got, yeah, you just, got a big smile on your face. Yeah, like, just, this is awesome. This is weird. This, this is, is amazing. Why yeah. is Satan? Will Satan just karate chop a hobo's face off? I and don't there's understand. There's some lines in there. I don't, I'm not even going to say the lines, but there's some lines Many in there. Many expletives that I, involved. I really love. Hilariously strung together. Yeah, there was a. Yeah, there was something the, the one of the lines in there was so good. It was like, holy crap. Yeah, the, there was a couple of them. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even want to say it. I was like, you got to go out and read this. Gotta, there was, there are great, great lines, great descriptions um, of, uh, of of what's going on in here. So, say no hobo hotel. Come on, man. Say no hobo hotel. This 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 car is rotten with hobos. <laughs> rotten with hobos. <laughs> Fantastic. So those are the books for this week, uh, and then we through them pretty quickly because we both have work to do. Well, I have work to do. I don't know what you're doing. Um, I always at work to do though. I think that's it. Anything I think so. Else? I think we got. I think we we had some enjoyable books this week. WonderCon mm-hmm. was fun. Uh, I had anything that you saw at WonderCon? A little WonderCon post show report. Yeah, I don't know week. when we're actually recording the main journals one. I haven't heard anything. So, um, well, I, uh, they announced the uh, the TMNT Usagi book. Yep. yep. Stan Sakai is doing start to finish. Is uh, much like his. 
Oh, I can't remember the one he did just as just as one. I know he did Senso as a as a series, but there was one he just did as a um, standalone hardcover uh, original graphic novel. But he's doing one with Turtles. Um, and he kind of talked a little bit about where the Turtles are going and stuff like that. There's not a lot of news that ever comes out of there. No, no. I think uh, Marvel used this weekend to sort of announce that uh, Defenders was coming out in April specifically. After this, uh, yeah, in terms summer. of the Netflix series, yeah, Marvel never has a presence in WonderCon, so they always yeah. try to find something. They that always they do. just sort of use the time frame where yeah. everyone's paying attention to all this stuff. Uh, one of my favorites, Jeff Johns, announced at their uh, DC Rebirth panel that he will be coming back to write a book. So I, uh, I didn't make it into that panel. I was I was upset. I for, I completely forgot. I put it on my calendar and I completely forgot exactly where it was. So. I should have gone to that. Oh, no. That was the day. It was a Saturday? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Saturday, all, I had five panels that I put on my list on Saturday. One was in the morning, and the other four were 3.15, 3.30, 3.30, and 3.30. Oh, God. So we went up. The 3.15 was the um, Rogue One panel uh, about the making of. was one of the visual effects supervisors, and I got up there like at 2.30, and they showed me where the line ended. I'm like, there's no way we're getting in that. So we just walked in the closest uh, – the um the closest room was that tmnt panel and since i was with eric and he's a big tmnt fan i thought that would be cool so we went to that instead of rebirth um that's why i missed rebirth because i did that one instead because the company that i had was much more involved in that one which was cool um it was like a celebration of some of the other things that they were doing because the tmnt i think was 73 or 74 that's coming out in a couple of months is the longest single running tmnt title ever nice uh they'll they'll break the record from the original mirage title as it goes through even though it went through two iterations but there's basically 70 something issues of it um yeah so that was it there's a couple not a lot of dealers with comics or trades yeah i remember you mentioned that one i saw that you mentioned that and i thought that was that 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 always kind of bums me out yeah that that Less well, it's less. definitely yeah. It's just a, it's a show that uh, the the Sunkow shows always become cosplay shows to me. Yeah, and there was so many people outside big, that were that never. Yeah, there's one Sunday that just said, uh, you know, I walked by a, a group of cosplayers and one of them said, uh, paraphrasing is, I never went inside. I've been here for three days. I've never walked through the doors. Oh boy. They just stayed outside to take pictures and meet other cosplayers and stuff like that. So, um, which again is perfectly fine, but you get to a point where you you don't have people that are coming there to you know go to panels or go through the floor to try and find cool merchandise and, and stuff or rare and hard to find stuff so it ends up being just new pops and new toys no one's bringing all right. their stuff so it's very tough to do the trade booths that we normally go to were a lot smaller this year well there wasn't any there was only two that i could find and uh and i went through like one of their boxes basically like a there's usually like three rows of short boxes of older stuff and uh, I went through one, and it just the, the selection was so lacking. And this was like Saturday morning. I mean, it was it should never be that well to me. It wouldn't be that bad there, but they just wasn't there. So I got a lot of Legos and toys and stuff nice. like that. And I got you did a get a lot of Lego minifigures. Yeah, I did. It's kind of like my thing. Yeah, it's four bucks. It's like, yeah, oh, it's easier than trying to find them in the little blind bags and stuff. And it's all from sets I'm never going to get anyway. So um, I got the uh, the advent calendar white snow Chewbacca. Nice, nice, which was awesome. I love that figure. So yeah, I mean it was fun. There's a bit of the social aspect is missing. I mean, you only went for the one, I day, went for one day, and then Sunday, like everyone left so early that we didn't really do anything through the day. But we got to sit outside of Tortilla Joe's for two, two hours. hours. <laughs> we had a group of fourteen that no one could figure out why is it taking so long. There's fourteen of us. Fourteen I asked of you us. If you wanted you just to go somewhere else. Yeah, I was like, uh, 
Let's push together two tables, guys. Yeah, well, they didn't have two tables. That was the problem. Um, but yeah, oh, I bought a lot of pins too. Yes. Well, lots of pins. Found that stupid pin booth. Oh, the Disney pin booth. I, wa- that I walked amazing. that booth like four times. I've seen that booth before when um, Melissa and I went to Stanley's Kamikaze of Comic Con LA, whatever they want to call it. Yeah, it has like seven names now. Yeah. Um, well, they, even this uh, CCI says they they are they're using both WonderCon and Comic Con Anaheim now interchangeably to try and get people to understand that it's the same people that put on Comic-Con, even though it's obviously a much, much different show. But it's weird, because they're technically Comic-Con International. Yeah. They could just do Comic-Con International presents WonderCon, and then Comic-Con International presents San Diego Comic-Con. But that's Comic-Con. the thing, is the San Diego Comic-Con... It's not even San Diego Comic-Con. It is It SDCC is Comic. It is Comic-Con International, International San Diego. Okay. The official name of Comic-Con is, Com- is, is, is uh, Comic-Con International San Diego. But everyone just calls it the San Diego Comic Con, right. or they just call it Comic Con. You know, they got that big deal with uh, with Salt Lake City because yes. Salt Lake City wanted to call it Comic Con, and they're and like, they're no, like no, no, you can't no. just call Trademark. it. If you put nothing else on it, it's got to be it's, whatever. Um, but they, it, it's funny because they say on the inside of the the um, the catalog, not the catalog, but whatever the souvenir guide that you get, uh, that it is a you know they, they've tried to make it into the comic show. That there's more comic panels. There's there's less of an influence or, or an, uh, an emphasis on the movies and the TV and that type of thing. But then the vendors that are there, which you can't really pick your vendors. People right. pay their money. They get things. You know, you can't. There's there's the silver and gold age dealers that are always at those shows. But yeah, the CGC now it's too. just pop booth, pop vinyl figure, pop vinyl figures, pop vinyl figures. Oh, new, new top vinyl figures. Vinyl figures everywhere. Uh, oh, um, and uh, the anime booths say strong things that say, yeah. you know, like Gundam and the uh, Nendoroids. Yeah, the guys who have the the bigger the, the figure arts, the figure arts toys, those type of toys, and the and the models and stuff like that. There was a couple there, but yeah, it's it's just like you know, sort of thing, and, and it's also part of it is being burned down on Southern California shows because a lot of the same artists in the same places. Um, so you kind of walk through, and you, yeah, I've seen all this art before. Um, I didn't see any pieces that, that jumped out at me except for what I ended up buying. There was a um, uh, there was one booth. She was a, a Japanese lady, and so she had like kind of fun, you know, big chibi, big colors, and she has a Darth Vader eating sushi. Oh, nice! Yeah, you know, in a, in a classic Japanese restaurant, and uh, so I had to buy that from Melissa. I was like, here you go, and she loved it. And then uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name. It's driving me crazy. It's the guy that Mikey found at uh, Emerald City who does these great, very, very, like, angular, hard prints of, of cool stuff. He did a Samurai Jack print where it's Jack, just a tiny Jack on the ledge, and then it's the huge Aku. Oh, nice. And he showed it to me from one, uh, from Emerald City. It's like I gotta have that. I don't even know. I don't even know where to go. I don't know what to do. He doesn't sell anything online. I don't think. Uh, and then he was there and just boom, just bought that and two of his other prints. They're just amazing. It was really, really good stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's always a good show, but it definitely feels very different than the first two that were there. Yeah, yeah. You know, 2011, I think, was the last show in in San Diego. So it's 12, 12, 13, 14. San Francisco, yes. I'm sorry, not San Diego. So yeah, 12, 13, 14, 15 in Anaheim, and 16 in LA, which was not a good show. I do not no, like the LA no. Convention Center at all. And then 17 here. It was nice to go back to Anaheim, 
So it's that, nice that to get away, nice. even if it's just a little bit farther out. Yeah, well, I just think that convention center is a lot better, too. I mean, as much as people complain about the convention center versus something like San Diego, which is one long hallway that doesn't have any breaks, and these have the atrium breaks, it's still better than what you have to do at the L.A. Convention Center, which doesn't have a single room that's even near the size of any of this. Right. So it's... It, it would know. be about the same size combined, but they're all separate. You have yeah, like the lower got, floors, and you got the upper sections. And yeah, it's always a new... Like, like, that's the thing with Kamikaze. has been like four or five years, six years, however it's like. It's never been in the same place two years in a row. Right. It's always in a different like spot. it's in one room, or then you yeah. gotta go down First year it was side. in the basement, because it was such a cheap show, which was right. great. It's like, here's a $12 show, and... And we've got a couple of cool panels or whatever. And then Stan Lee comes in and throws his money around. And they're like, here, now we're upstairs. And then we're downstairs again. Now we're in two buildings. And now we're here. So uh, the convention center, most of my problem with L.A. conventions is the convention center itself is not a great convention center in my eyes. It was it was really made to do multiple smaller conventions at the same right. time. In terms of doing the auto show, the auto show is everywhere in right. it. You can't go or anywhere you do, without yeah, it. Or yeah. the opposite end of the spectrum for the LA Convention Center is is that it, like it, the LA Auto Show takes up every single room. Yeah. And it's massive. And the hallways yeah. and everything. I mean, you can't – everywhere you, you walk for the auto show – I haven't been to one in a couple of years, but I remember the last time just – you know, the basement was all of the merchandise and stuff. And right. And you and go the up in the main show. The, yeah. the showroom floors. And just walking the, the hallway, like for the comic convention, you walk outside – to get to the other one because the hallway led to something different. But in the LA Auto Show, it was like the hallway had like motorcycles or whatever. Yeah, down. It's I mean, like it was just stuff everywhere. Supercars or whatever. So, anyway. So, that's our kind of cheap WonderCon report. I'm sure we'll talk about it more when we do a Nerdables show. Because, yeah. of course, we are a part of the Nerdables family. Nerdables has a number of different podcasts that we run. There's, of course, Comictating, our main Nerdables show, The Deadcast, which just wrapped up as the finale season finale was last night. We have Star Wars Declassified that Rich and I do once in a while. Our latest episodes on Darth Maul after the Twin Suns episode of Rebels. Um, so check us out. I think if you're on a feed for us, you're on a feed for them. Check those out always. Uh, if you can, leave us a comment, especially on iTunes. That's the only way other people find us. And hopefully some of our recommendations uh, make you happy. spark you to go and pick up some new books. So for my partner, Sebastian, this is Chris, saying we'll talk to you next week. Oh, my God.